Heavenly Father, I just thank you for making all things new. Jesus, I thank you for being with us here in this place. Father, I thank you for sending your son to the cross to pay our debt. That everything that has been wrong in this world, wrong in our lives, God, was satisfied. Your anger was satisfied against all evil and wickedness because of the cross. And through the greatest act of love the world has ever seen, God, you reached down your hand and you offered it to us with no strings attached. You said, just believe in Jesus. Receive him as your savior. Turn from your sins and you will be saved, Father. And I thank you for everyone here in this place that accepted Jesus, that has taken him up on his offer for a second chance to make all things new. Lord, I thank you that it wasn't just salvation that you desired for us, God, but you poured out your Holy Spirit to fill us with the power to live an abundant life, a life overflowing, not just with blessing and good things, but a life of purpose, God, that you're using each one here who calls on the name of Jesus to be a catalyst for change in this community, in our families, in this city, God, and in this world. This world is a dark place, God, but you've raised us up to be the light. And I just pray right now, Father, as we lift your name, as we praise your name, God, as we get ready to look at the word that you've uh, prepared for us today, Father, that hope would rise in this place, God, that your spirit would move, that, that hearts would come alive in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace. I thank you, Lord, for this time and this opportunity it's in Jesus' name we pray, and together we agree by saying, amen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. Uh, my name is Pastor Joey, for those of you that are new, and uh, we want to say welcome to Vertical Life Church. We are in week three of this series we began on Easter called All Things New. It's a teaching series about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, uh, maybe most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the story. It's kind of hard to get through an Easter season without last, at least seeing um, something about Jesus on the television and, and what happened when he was crucified on the cross. But many times, what we don't see is the effect of his cross, what effect that faith in Christ, the risen Lord, can have on a person's life. And so we took the look, a look at the origins of a man named Paul the Apostle, one of the greatest missionaries this world has ever seen. But Paul didn't start as Paul, he started as Saul. Saul was a really bad guy who thought he was a good guy. He was super religious, but yet he was committing great acts of evil. And one encounter with Jesus had a dramatic effect on his life. And we saw what kind of effect an encounter with Jesus can have on a life, a chance, a true second chance to be redeemed, to be restored, to be put on a righteous path, to turn things around. And then last week in the series, we continued the story of Saul and saw how God didn't just save him. He didn't just forgive him of his sins, but he put him on a new path. And there were some things in his life that we saw from the very beginning moments of his encounter with Jesus that set him on the path to become everything God created him to be. And it's amazing that yeah, what, if you look through church history, you look through world history, the things that Paul accomplished. This week, we're going to look at birthing a new dream. Somebody say a new dream. A new 
dream. God wants to breathe newness into your life. I believe God wants to birth a new dream inside of some of you this morning, not only to change your life, but to also change the lives of those around you. That God wants to birth something new in you this week. So this week, we're going to look at a new dream. But something happens with dreams. We, I think we all, from the time we're young, we kind of dream. We dream about what could be, maybe make plans to be something when we grow up. I used to work for Mott Community College, and I would go to different schools and even middle schools and high schools and, and talk to students about their career path. And I would ask them this question just to be kind of funny because they were getting close to the point where they were going to be off on their own. But I would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And many of them would offer different career paths and different things. And I think this is something we all, to some extent, think about or dream about when we're younger. But what happens to dreams, and I think this comes for all of us at one time or another, what we usually do in life and with life is we begin to settle in and accept life as it is, to accept our current station in life. And we kind of give hope, give up on hope, for our dreams to come true, for anything really to change, to bring us into the dreams that we were hoping for. Because the reality is to really do anything about where we are in life, to go into that dream or head towards that dream, anything that we could do to change, to chase something bigger than what we're doing presently can seem too disruptive, too uncomfortable. And we begin to psych ourselves out and, and say, well, no, that, that just happens for select people. And we begin to kind of be dismissive of what maybe God has put in our hearts. You see, it's easy to dream when we're young and we don't really understand what responsibilities are and obligations are. And it's easy to make plans to walk into those dreams. But then something happens along the way in life that begins to diminish that spark we initially had to set out to chase those dreams. I think of the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you have seen this movie at Christmas time? It's an oldie. It's, it's in black and white. It's actually one of my favorites to watch. It reminds me of when I was young and the different Christmas movies that we uh, watched when I was a child. But in this movie, if you've not seen it, there's this young guy named George Bailey, and he was a dreamer. I mean, he had aspirations. He was going to see the world. He was going to travel all over. He had this briefcase, and, and he was ready to get stamps placed all over from all the different locations that, that he was traveling. But as he was growing up, he had to kind of assume responsibility in his family, and he went to work for his father because his father needed help, as, as many uh, kids do in a family business. But the, the arrangement that they had was that George would only work for his father long enough for his younger brother to finish school, and then his younger brother would take George's spot, and then George could set off on his dreams to go see the world. But something happened in George's life. His younger brother was an excellent uh, athlete, and he receives a scholarship to go to college. And there's this great opportunity for his brother to make something of himself. And so what George does is he sacrifices his dream yet again to enable his brother to go off and, and chase his college dreams. And, and so then the, the dream gets pushed down the road just a little longer. And then his brother goes, he plays college, he's an All-American, does these great things, and then he gets close to graduating, and George is all excited to get his shot again, but then the war breaks out, and his 
brother is drafted into the military, and now he has to go uh, overseas, and his dream is yet put again on the back burner. And through this process, through working, he ends up getting married and settling down and having children. And in one day, his business... His father uh, is long gone. His business gets in trouble. Uh, Somebody makes a poor decision or is irresponsible, puts them in a really big bind. The authorities are called on George because they're claiming he didn't manage money well. And he's brought so low with the reality that his dreams are crushed. His life is not what it should be. Now the police are after him that the only thing that he thought would make sense in his life was to give up on life. And he contemplated and planned his own suicide. And he goes to the bridge and he's looking over the bridge in that moment. And he is thinking to himself, It's the end. I should just end it. And maybe some of you here today, when you were younger, you had some lofty plans and goals. You had some big, big, bright light visions and dreams. You had aspirations. But something or a series of some things took you off course. And over time led you to a life you've never planned on living. And kept pushing your dreams further and further off into the distance. And because of those missed opportunities, there now is an innate dissatisfaction in your life or an ache in your soul that continually creates a, a dissatisfaction with where you are and what you're doing. It's causing you to lose joy in the daily grind. And, and yet when given the challenge to dream, when given the, the choice to maybe plan for something new or do something different, there, there is a shrinking back because of all the discouragement that you've endured and all the trials and pain that you've gone through in your life because ultimately you've lost that spark of hope that something could be different, that something could be greater, that maybe there's a greater purpose for why you're living. And when we lose that hope, we end up never realizing our dreams because we give up on those dreams. We give in to the disappointments and we let them define and determine the course of our lives. And in us remains a seed of discouragement. And there's a young man in the Bible named Joseph. And he was not uh, ignorant or blind to discouragement. He was one of 12 brothers. He was the youngest one of the bunch. And he wa- or he was the second to the youngest of the bunch. He had a younger brother named Benjamin. But he was his father's favorite. Out of all the, the brothers, he was the father's favorite. And it wasn't like his father just told him he was the favorite when the other brothers weren't around. And then to the next brother, he told was the favorite. Maybe some of you had that in your family or maybe did that to your kids and created a huge complex that they now need therapy for. I don't know. But, uh, but, I, but this wasn't the case. Joseph was actually his dad's favorite. He told him he was his favorite. Matter of fact, he bought him special clothes to show everyone else in the family, this one's my favorite. There's a coat of many colors. So this young guy kind of grew up with a chip on his shoulder. And, and he knew that he was the favorite. And of course, this made his brothers really jealous. It doesn't, it doesn't provide a good family environment when one is the favorite out of all the rest. And so uh, it, it's just a, a family dynamic. One day, God gives Joseph a dream. And the first thing Joseph thinks about doing is, I got to go tell my brothers about it. I got to go tell my family about it. We're going to look in Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verses 5 through 10. 
And here's what the word of God says about Joseph's dream. In verse 5, it says, One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. I wonder why this is. Verse 6, Joseph says, Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. God gives him this dream, and it wasn't like he was like, hey, guys, I had this dream, and I got I to gotta tell you about it, man. This is, this is crazy. I don't know what to think about this. What do you think? No, 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 no. He was like, I'm God's favorite. I'm dad's favorite, and now I'm God's favorite, and I'm going to go let everybody know that I'm God's favorite. So I'm going to go tell my brothers, hey, guys, guess what? I might be younger than you, but you will bow down to me. You will be my servants and my slaves. He was spouting off. And this jealousy that they had for him turned into a deep hatred. I don't know if you had younger siblings, but um, it, it's one thing for them to, you know, maybe mouth off, but it's another thing for them to uh, begin to lord over you. There, there's a sibling rivalry that, that begins to change shape in a circumstance like this. But it doesn't stop here. He doesn't stop rubbing, uh, rubbing this fact in his brother's face. In verse 9, it says, Soon Joseph had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream. He said, The sun, moon, and the eleven stars bowed loud before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you. So here we have another dream. Joseph gets filled with more pride. He's like, ha, ah, God, God's raising me up even over my family. This is amazing. And so he was kind of bringing this, holding this over everyone's head. God births a dream in Joseph's heart, a dream of leadership and a dream of honor. And this is just a powerful, powerful thing. But Joseph was taking it maybe in a way that God did not intend for him to take it. When he told his father his dream, his father did not only disbelieve the dream, but he basically said, this dream is never going to happen. He spoke discouragement over the dream that God had given him. And I, I think about this, that this happens often to us. It, even if we have this dream, this aspiration, this goal, or maybe we feel like God's calling us to something great, and, and we might not be acting like Joseph, like a spoiled little brat. We might just be saying, here's what I think God is calling me to do. And we share that dream with people that, that we care about or we you know, want to support us and encourage us, people close to us, like maybe our parents. Sometimes that when we share dreams and aspirations, we're not responded or they don't respond with encouragement like, yeah, go for it. I believe in you. You can do that. Sometimes the people closest to us, like Joseph's parents, shut us down and, and discourage us. They speak discouragement. I believe here today God is telling me that some of us here in this room, you had a dream you were really excited about, but the people close to you did not believe in you enough to encourage you and agree with you about this dream, to promote you to follow this dream, but instead they mocked you, they made you feel stupid for dreaming the dream, leading you to give up on your dreams altogether. 
that there's something in you that says, I feel like I want to do this, and someone told you, you're not good enough, don't even try. And that has marked your life. Some of you may be dreaming about being an artist or a singer or an actor or a lawyer. Maybe God has put something in you to own your own business and to grow a business and to use that to help people in a greater way. God has put a dream in you to to do something significant in your life, but because of the discouraging words that people have spoken over you and into you, you're now racked with insecurity and fear that you're not good enough or that it would never happen. See, we don't know much about what conversations did or did not happen after this point, after Joseph shares this dream with his brothers and his family, but what we do know is these dreams are never spoken of again in the story. They're never brought up or mentioned again. At least the time that Joseph mentions this in this moment. But what we do know is from this point on, his dreams begin to be completely derailed. And that might be the experience that you've had as you begin to share your dream that not only discouragement flooded your life, but then circumstances started coming in, completely derailing the dreams that you had. So Joseph shares this dream. His brothers begin to hate him more than ever. And his brothers are so filled with malevolence for Joseph that they actually begin to plan his death. They're going to kill him. I mean, this is, this is not a pleasant situation. One day, Jacob, Joseph's father, wants to you know, see how his brothers are doing. They were tending the sheep. They were shepherds. And so he wanted to go have Joseph go check on him and then report back to uh, Jacob about what they were doing. And so he sends Joseph out to check on his brothers. And so Joseph kindly obliges his father. And he goes out to his brothers to, to do his duty. His brothers see him afar off, and they spring their plan into action. And if it was not for one brother having mercy and compassion on Joseph, they would have killed him. They would have just destroyed him right then and there. But instead, they decide to strip him down, throw him into a pit, and sell him into slavery. Talk about a dream killer. Talk about a dream killer. God, you said I'm going to lead, they're going to bow down, and now they're throwing me into a pit. This doesn't seem like the pathway to major success, God. He was literally hurt by his own family, the modern definition of becoming a victim of human trafficking. In a moment, after God spoke this vision to his heart of leadership, of, of being raised up to this other level, he loses his family, he loses his home, and he loses all of his dignity in a single day. And some of you have had dreams like Joseph, and you too were hurt by those who were supposed to protect you, to care for you, to love you. And their actions created deep wounds and scars, and that pain has derailed your hope to ever see those dreams fulfilled again. This is Joseph's story. God gave him a dream, and yet people in his life hurt him. Well, as the story goes, he's purchased. He's traded by these uh, Lebanese slave traders. He's purchased by an Egyptian officer named Potiphar. And at this point, Joseph says, you know, I can't change my circumstance. I might as well make the best of my situation. And he just begins to walk with godly character. And he serves his master well. And because of this, his master gives him favor, actually raises him up to become a leader in his own household. And things seem to be going well for Joseph, despite the fact that he's a, still a slave. 
The situation's not ideal, but it's as good as it can be for the time. And then Potiphar's wife takes a special liking to Joseph and decides to attempt to seduce him one day. And in this moment, Joseph, out of character and honor for his master, flees the room and Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. And so Potiphar, being angry now with Joseph, throws him into prison. So if his situation wasn't bad enough, going from a slave, now he is rotting in jail. He is rotting in this prison. His situation goes from bad to worse. But because rather than letting the situation destroy him and, and just, you know, destroy him completely and give up all hope and all faith in God, he decides to do the same thing he did before, to live a godly life, to make the best of my situation, to continue to trust the Lord. And God gave him favor, and soon he became a leader in the prison, became a leader among the prisoners. When two of Pharaoh's servants, the baker and the butler, were, or cupbearer, were jailed, Overnight, they had troubling dreams as well, and they didn't know what these dreams meant, and God gave Joseph a special gifting to interpret these dreams, and one of the servants of Pharaoh was going to die, and the other one was going to be restored to his position, and the dreams were fulfilled exactly as Joseph had said. One lived, and the other died, and I'm sure in this moment, Joseph is thinking, okay, here's my chance. I, 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 I helped this guy. I interpreted the dream. It happened. He's going to be thankful for what I did for him. And then now he's going to help me out. I'm going to get to go home to my family and, and go back to the way things were. But that's not at all what happened. The servant that was restored forgot about Joseph. And over the course of two years, Joseph had to continue to struggle and um, be jailed up in this prison. And after two years, now King Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream of his own, a troubling dream. He calls together all the wise people of, of the land to interpret this dream. No one could interpret the dream. And then in a moment, the, the butler or cupbearer of Pharaoh remembers there was a young man, a Jewish man in prison that was able to interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh calls Joseph out of the prison. Joseph interprets the dream, and in a second... Pharaoh makes Joseph the second in all command in the nation of Egypt. He says, the only person that has more authority than you, Joseph, is myself. In a minute, God raises him up to be the second in command of the nation of Egypt, the most powerful nation at the time. See, Joseph had a dream when he was young, but he had some horrible things happen in his life. He had some really horrible things happen to him. And I'm sure that when God gave him those dreams, he never in a million years thought this journey was going to begin with being betrayed by my family, being sold into slavery, rotting, falsely accused, rotting in prison. I don't think he ever probably had that in his, his, his grid for what God was going to do in his life. And I don't think we do either. When we know God is speaking something to our lives or he gives us a dream in our heart, we never uh, feel like that dream is going to be paved with a journey of hardship, trial, and pain. But this is what happened in Joseph's life. And through each situation, Joseph is raised up to leadership because God begins to cultivate the very characteristics in Joseph that he needed when he was raised up to the fulfillment of this position. You see, God has a different vantage point than we do. 
God made special promises to the nation of Israel, the people Joseph comes from, to always be their God, to protect them, to raise them up. He made special promises to Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, and Jacob, his own father, that he would be faithful if they served him well. And God knew that unless something dramatic happened to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that he would never in a million years appoint a Hebrew to the second in command, to a high position in his court because those people were beneath him rather than above him. The Egyptians didn't like Semitic people. They had an uh, angst against them. But here in this moment, we have a situation that God was able to work out in a powerful way. God needed Joseph to be where he was, at the place he was, in the station he was, to go through what he did so that at the right time, an opportunity could be opened up Joseph could be raised up and be there to provide for his family. The dream Pharaoh had was that there was a famine that would be uh, unleashed on the land and it would be so severe that it would affect all the surrounding nations. And because Joseph was raised up in the second of command, God gave him special wisdom. He was able to store enough grain and enough food aside to not only provide an abundance for the Egyptians, but to help out all the other nations that were around him. So when this famine hit, that his family was able to come and stay in Egypt, and Pharaoh enabled Joseph to just take care of his family. It was a powerful move of God to continue on his promises to the nation of Israel. God leveraged the angers of his brother, the betrayal of that situation, the false accusation of Potiphar's wife, and his time served in prison unjustly. He, he was full well what Joseph would have to go through so that at the right time he could raise him up to a position to act on his family's behalf. This could have been a moment for revenge, Joseph being elevated to this position. When his brothers finally you know, got to the point where they realized they had no food, they couldn't survive, Jacob says, you need to go to Egypt, see if they've got something for you. And when his brothers came and Joseph met them face to face, this could have been an opportunity to exact revenge, to say, you know what, payback. It's time for payback, but that's not at all what happened. It was within Joseph's power to get even, but what we see in the story isn't revenge, but it's the power of God unleashed through love and forgiveness. You see, some of us, you might be here today and, and you might have gone through some stuff and you're wondering where the fulfillment of those dreams were that you had when you were young. Some of us are missing the fulfillment of those dreams because we have unresolved bitterness in our hearts. We don't have forgiveness in our hearts, and we're acting out of those places of pain, which continue to derail the very dreams God has put in our hearts. The very thing God wants to do is being delayed because of the unresolved uh, emotions and bitterness that you have in your heart. It's taking you off the path. See, God doesn't just want to raise you up out of the pits and the prisons of your life. He wants to heal every wounded place of your soul. He wants to set you free, not just in life, but also in your heart. And he wants to do it, to do mighty things through you. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 18 through 21, the story continues as his brothers came to beg uh, Joseph for, uh, for help. In verse 18, it says, Then his brothers came and threw themselves before Joseph. Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? He's offering forgiveness. Verse 20, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. 
He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to him. You see, Joseph was able to forgive his brothers. He was able to forgive the painful things that were done to him and be set free from these moments and not allow these circumstances to destroy him because he recognized that God had not abandoned him. God had not forsaken him. God was with him the entire time, and through the process of pain, he was raising him up to position. When Joseph was sold to the Egyptian officer in Genesis 39, verse 2, it says this. What's it say? Read that with me. Genesis 39, verse 2. What are the first words? It says, the Lord was what? With Joseph. When he was sold into slavery, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did. Genesis 39, verse 21. When he was thrown into prison, what's it say? It says, the Lord was what? With Joseph. You see, we get in these circumstances and trials. We have these painful things happen in our lives, and we think God is so afar off. But we have to remember as his children, the Lord is with us. God is not abandoning us to our pain and to our trials. He is going through that with us because he's working all things out together for the good that those who love God and are called according to his purposes. God never abandons Joseph, but regardless of his circumstance, he encouraged him and led him to stay on the path as Joseph clinged to his faith in God and tried to honor him in every situation, God was able to continue to move Joseph on this position for breakthrough and the ultimate fulfillment of his dreams. God never abandoned Joseph. And I'm here to tell you today, God has never abandoned you. God has never abandoned Joseph, and God has never abandoned you. It doesn't matter how painful the circumstance, how terrible the season, God is with you. He is near to the brokenhearted. He comforts those who weep. He is there with you every step of the way. And if you cling to your faith rather than push against faith, if you lean into God rather than run from God, he'll continue to weave you through those storms to raise you to the position to fulfill the dreams that he has placed in your heart. You see, when Joseph first dreamed his dreams, his head was filled with stars. Often when we think of the big things and we aspire to big things, our heads are filled with stars. We think about ourselves. This will be good for me. Oh, I might be famous or I might be rich or I could have a house or I could be able to go to Florida every winter and escape winter in Michigan. We have these, we have these dreams and aspirations that are so selfish and self-motivated. And this is what was happening in Joseph's life. He, he had these God-sized dreams, and he internalized them and made it all about himself. See, God not only had to send Joseph through difficult circumstances to put him at the right place at the right time to be elevated to position, but he also had to knock him down a few notches and get him to a place of total dependence on God. Because it's only when we're dependent on God and surrendered to God that we will follow God to that position, to the breakthrough where it'll stop being about ourselves and our pride and our glory and being about his glory. And when we're serving him and being about his glory, that's where the miracle happens. Only when Joseph had given his life totally to God was he able to move in it and grant him favor in every circumstance. When we dream dreams or when we feel like God might be calling us to something great, whatever it is, 
Rather than letting our eyes be filled with stars, our hearts should and our knees should fall before the Lord and thank him and praise him. See, if God were to give us dreams, give us the dreams of our hearts, if God were to just elevate us the moment he puts that dream in our hearts and our hearts would be filled with pride, he would never be able to accomplish the goals he needs to accomplish and what he wants to do in and through us because we wouldn't be working for his will, we'd be working for our own. His glory wouldn't be able to be revealed in the world to save the lives of those who are in desperate need of having an encounter with him because we'd be too busy worrying about ourselves and what makes us happy. A prideful heart living the dream has no grid for God. But a dependent heart living the dream will live it in thankfulness to God and use it for his glorious purpose. God had to break Joseph down before he could build him up. You see, your pain is the pathway toward fulfilling your dreams. But that dream won't be realized if we're only focused on the dream and not focused on God's dream for us in the dream. There's a reason you've been given the dream. It's bigger than a padded bank account, than a nice car. The dream God places in your life is of eternal significance. And you might be here today and feel like, you know, it's not fair that God has allowed so much pain to come into your life. And I would agree with you. At times, it feels like that. It feels like it's not fair that, that, that God would, would speak this over my life or want this for me, but then allow so much suffering to come into my life. And it's easy to feel like if God really loved me, then he wouldn't allow me to go through so much pain. How could God love me and yet allow so much heartache in my life? And I understand why you could be feeling that way. But here's the truth. God had a dream too. God had a dream too. And we can see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. The first thing in this passage of scripture I see is this. Number one, you would not need endurance to run a race unless that race was hard. Any runners in here? Yeah, a few runners. I like to jog outside, but you know, like any type of exercise or workout routine, when you stop for a period of time and you let yourself get lazy, it's infinitely more difficult to get started back again. You think waking up Five days in a row is difficult. Try taking five months off and going back to it. It's not the same experience. It's so much more difficult. You find aches and pains and muscles you never knew you had. It is, it's difficult. And as a runner, it's like your lungs are on fire and you're only going like two miles every three hours. You know, it's super slow. You know, I, I, I tried jogging the other day and my, uh, my mile times back up to where it was when I was in uh, middle school and, and weighing infinitely much more than I do now uh, for my size. So I'm really out of shape, but uh, we'll get there by God's grace. But, uh, but this is just the way it is. You, if you need endurance, and here's what he says, strip off every weight that slows us down. Run with endurance. You don't need endurance unless it's going to be hard, unless it's going to be difficult. 
Fulfilling your purpose in Christ Jesus is not a cakewalk. It's not easy. It's achieved on the road of hardship and sacrifice. But we have a promise of God that if you do not quit, you keep going, you will realize the dream God has put in your heart, the fulfillment of the purpose for that dream, which is bigger than you can comprehend. There's so many more infinite possibilities, so many more things God wants to accomplish in and through you, but it's when we give up that the enemy wins and derails the hope that we have to realize our dreams. God is saying to us to hold fast, keep going, recognize it's going to be struggle, it's going to be a a trial, you're going to have times in your marriage, it's not going to be fun, there'll be seasons of difficulty, you're going to have times where you're dealing with sick kids, you're going to have times where that car accident happened out of nowhere, there's going to be situations that rise up in your life that are not going to be pleasant, but if you hold fast, you will strip off every weight and you will continue to reach the end. The second thing I see here is look at what it says about Jesus in verse 2. Can you throw up verse 2 there, buddy? In verse 2, it says this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, who, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of, what's that word? The, because of the joy awaiting him. Because of the joy awaiting him. Jesus, when he came, didn't just come because it was fun. It was a good idea. He had a purpose. He had a goal in mind. There was a dream in God's heart. There was a joy awaiting him. What was the joy awaiting Jesus? It was his dream come true that those far from God, separated by sin, could be reconciled back into a relationship with their heavenly father. The dream that gave Jesus so much joy that motivated him to endure the sufferings of the cross, every trial, every tribulation, every beating, every lash, every nail, his joy was you. His dream was you. And Jesus came and he had you in mind. And that joy, that dream of being fulfilled, that you would once again be reconciled to the Father, be drawn into God's heart, and have a relationship together motivated him to endure the cross, to disregard the shame, the very shame that he had to endure. It says when he was being beaten, he stripped him naked. Imagine being naked just walking down the street. You know, we don't, we don't do that. Why? Because it's shameful. It's embarrassing. Right? We don't even want to like get into our bathing suits and go into a public pool, right? But, but this is what they did. They stripped him down, and his shame was on display for all to see. They beat him half an inch for, to his death, and through the most excruciating forms of torture that you could put a human body through, and he disregarded that because of what was waiting on the other side. It was you. What sin separated was being restored through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it was this dream that gave Jesus the strength to finish the rest of the verse. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He saw his dream fulfilled when he finished the work God had sent him to do. Before Jesus could realize his dream, he had to endure the cross. To bear the crushing weight of the sins of the world. And he did it for you. God has not asked you to do or led you through anything he has not already done and planned to go through himself. God has not led you through anything he's not already gone through. He knows that it's through trials that we can be refined and be positioned 
for the greatest impact. When Joseph confronts his brothers, Genesis 45, 5 through 7, he tells his brothers not to be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years. It will last five more years. There will neither be plowing or harvesting, but God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. If we stop looking at our lives and through the lens of our own perspective, when we start looking through God's perspective, he'll give you a glimpse of what his dream for you is really all about. The dream he wants to birth in you today is not a self-centered dream where you can chase stars and the things of this world, but it's a dream that includes the salvation of many souls. It's a dream that's a kingdom-sized dream to advance the kingdom, to bring reconciliation to broken hearts and broken lives. And God wants you to capture that dream of the kingdom today. He wants you to see the heaven-sized dream that he has for your life. In Joel 2, 28 through 29, this is a promise that was fulfilled in the New Testament. It says, then after doing those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Somebody say all people. God is going to pour out a spirit in all people. This is fulfilled in Acts 2. This has already happened. He says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. When Jesus poured out his spirit, and it was poured out uh, to unleash his presence in the world, it didn't matter if you were old or young, male or female, a free person or in slavery. No one was exempt for dreaming God-sized dreams. The Spirit was poured out to open our eyes to a vision of our lives that was only matched by the greatness of our God. Dreams not only for our good, but for His love and glory to be revealed in the earth. Jesus said, and the Bible says, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus is not simply saved from sin, but we're saved toward a purpose. God wants to pour out his spirit on you to birth a dream in your heart that he will use to lead you on a journey of faith, ending with the results of miracles in your life and many lives being changed through you. And maybe it will begin today in your own family by giving your heart to Jesus and allowing him to breathe his spirit into you, to open your eyes to a greater vision and a greater purpose. Maybe the first change happens in your life and then in your family. But then God's not done there. He wants to open you up to a greater world that begin using you and your community to breathe life and bring change into your community. That through your business aspirations and the, the things that you have going on in your life, you can continue to advance his kingdom, bring healing and hope to the world. We spend so much time trying to dream up self-gratifying dreams and we miss the dreams God wants to birth in us to change the world. We get discouraged and despondent when our dreams and our selfish desires aren't fulfilled. When things don't go right or our way and we easily give up because we think that problems and pain equal failure, but problems and pain actually equal progress if we're following the Lord. It's time to begin seeking dreams for the kingdom and letting God birth a new hope and a new dream in our hearts today. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes as we begin to just go into a time of ministry and response. Maybe you're here today 
and you had a dream a long time ago. God put a calling on your life. But life and circumstances took you off the path. Today it's time to breathe life into your dream and renew your hope in it again. God wants to breathe his spirit into you. And as Jesus raised from the dead through the Holy Spirit, God wants to raise your hope again from the deadness of your heart and bring life into it to help you see your life in view of what God's view is for you. There are people that God plans to use you to touch. There are people you've not even met yet that God wants to save through your life. There are people who are waiting every day for you to capture God's dream for your life. I've heard it said before that God's preparing you for a prepared people. And they're waiting every day for you to put off surrendering to the call and surrendering your life to the plans and purposes God has for you. God wants to give you a new dream by resurrecting an old dream and redirecting his vision towards his vision and his purpose. Maybe you're here today and you honestly have never felt a dream in your life. You've never had a dream for your life. You've never felt a call of God. You've lived a lot of your life just wondering, why am I here? What's my purpose? It's time to begin seeking the Lord. Jesus poured out his spirit. And through the pouring out of his spirit, it says you will dream dreams. You will see visions. His word is true. Often we don't dream dreams and visions because we're not seeking the dream. We're not seeking the vision. We're not asking God, God, what is your will for my life? Jesus said, if you knock, the door will be opened. If you seek, you will find. The problem for not seeing is really because we're not seeking. And maybe you don't know what God wants for your life because... You've not sought his will for your life. It begins by seeking the Lord. And maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. The first place you need to begin seeking is seeking a relationship. Jesus demonstrated God's love for you when he hung on the cross. There's nothing that you've done in your life that is exempt from the love of God. God loves you immeasurably beyond your wildest dreams. When you come to the Lord, you will not meet judgment or condemnation. You will meet a heavenly father, a father who loves you beyond measure, who's been waiting for the day that you would say yes to his gift of salvation. Maybe the beginning of dreaming dreams and receiving a dream for your life is giving your heart to Jesus. For the next few moments, we're just going to go into a time of prayer and response and ministry. We'll be down front. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come right now and draw every heart. As you work in this place, God, I pray you give us the courage. Give us the courage to step out on faith in whatever areas that you're speaking to right now. If there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus, in just a moment, when Tony begins to sing, I'll be down front, and I invite you to come, and we'll pray together. And we'll pray a prayer that is gonna dramatically change your life. It's not in the prayer, it's in the heart and in the faith that you're gonna unleash in this moment. And God's gonna come into your life, and you will never be the same, I guarantee you that. Maybe you've been so filled with discouragement, 
that the idea of letting hope rise in your heart has just been overwhelming in just a moment. Come, lay yourself down. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and give yourself to the Lord again. Maybe you're here and you need healing for your body. There's pain in your body, sickness, and you'd like prayer for that. We'll be down front. If you're here and you're on our prayer team, I invite you now to come forward to pray for those who are here. But for the next few moments, let's just respond to the Lord. Let's give Him our hearts. Let's invite Him in. And I know God's going to do a work today. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, just fill this place. In Jesus' name, God, we cancel all fear. In Jesus' name, we cancel all discouragement. In Jesus' name, we cancel all embarrassment. In Jesus' name, God, we cancel all pretense. Right now, Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you reveal your glory and your presence. Holy Spirit, move. Move in power. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Nothing worth more. Whatever it is, you come forward.